0: here this morning it's a good see each and every one of you. I talked uh, one Lord's day about one brother Clay's Wednesday night classes I'm gonna to talk to you this morning about one of Brother Reggie's Sunday morning classes. So, see where we are learning. <coughs> you know you. we talked this morning about how we're supposed to go up well, we talk about it regularly, we should and talk to people about their salvation. Not only be concerned about our own, but those around us. But salvation has been found in many unlikely places. I mean, men's hearts have been warmed by God's love in Antarctica, and their bodies baptized in the deserts. Christ has been confessed in Muslim countries, where it's risk and uh, persecution. Also in the communist nation where God had already been declared as dead. We know that our God is still alive. Now, missionaries have found a single receptive soul among the, the millions in urban population centers and youth centers and homeless shelters and all, converted whole villages in Earth's most remote extremities. In other places, battlefields and even bar rooms have often hosted some Bible classes. <coughs> Young men have been saved on young uh, the young have been saved on university campuses and the old even in nursing homes. The have been drawn to the friends of the sinners, but the university professors have been brought to the teacher of the Nazarite, our Lord Jesus Christ. Many have just entered the age of accountability, choose to continue to follow Christ. Others were snatched from the hands of Satan on the last day of their life, on their deathbed. The last day of their life when, when we can still, even though someone is dying, and they can say, you know, hey, I've lived my whole life in this simple life. I wish I had known different. can, God is still there for them. We can come in and teach them God's Word, baptize them, and they still have a chance. On the other hand, uh, one, can, on the other hand one can go to hell from anywhere in the world. Citizens living in, in uh, the Bible Belt of a Christian nation may be as far away from God as the staunchest atheist in the most uh, secular nation. In other words, a home with a dozen Bibles can be just just as degenerate. thanks you. Sir. A home that has a, a, a hundred Bibles in it can can be just as degenerate as one that has no Bibles. Those reared in Christian homes may be may still be prodigals, preachers. And this is sad, but preachers can forsake the gospel that they once preached. The devil is after each and every one of us. Those living beside the church building may never attend a single service. Still, all things being equal, a good environment aids God's cause, and a bad one lends itself to the devil's work. So when we're out doing stuff in our, our daily lives and all, we need to be careful of this. That, uh, a good environment aids God's cause. A bad one lends to the devil's work. We need to, to uh, raise our children and conduct our households and all where God's cause can be taught. Perhaps, therefore, it's harder. One might think it's harder to go to heaven from a prison than any other place on earth. There's just so many bad people there news where there are bad people everywhere. Those are just ones that have been caught. This makes the Philippian jailer. That's what we're going to talk about in Acts chapter 16. The Philippian jailer's rescue even more remarkable. Acts chapter 16 verse 25 through 34 it says that at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the heavens were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison waking out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would we'll have killed us, supposed that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy household. And they spake unto him the words of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and he baptized he and all his straightway. And when he had had brought them into the house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. This man, having his prisoners safely locked away for the night, Thought he'd done his job, everything was done, went to sleep, Neither respecting nor desiring rescue, we see in Acts uh, 16, 23 and 24, where it says, And when they had laid many stripes upon him, they cast him into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Now he's comfortable with his surroundings and all. He gets good, then go on to sleep, or everything's good. But it says about midnight, the startling event began unfolding that forever changed his life. In other words, he, he's going to find life at the brink of death. It all began with an earthquake. Awakening, his first thoughts were of the prisoners. Seeing the doors open, he assumed what any warden or jailer would have uh, would expect. They've escaped. His second thoughts were of the consequences. Now, this probably wasn't the, the same consequences of whether well, it goes this year's bonus or no budget, you know, no uh, promotion for me for now, variety. But it was a more serious thought. Guards who let their prisoner escape were executed, we see in Acts 12 and 19. Just didn't let the prisoner escape, somebody had to pay. He knew how this would play out. He probably knew there would be an interrogation. Find that he slept at his post, disgrace, then a beating, and execution would follow. Now, hopelessly, he decided to save them the trouble. He would fall on his sword, and this would be that. When they found an empty prison, they would also find a dead jailer. They would fill out the paperwork, chase down the prisoners, and appoint a new jailer. And how Paul knew what was going on outside the cell and inside the jailer's mind is unknown. Perhaps by miracle, but it was unknown. But his voice called out of the darkness, and just at the right moment, to this suicidal man at death's door, he said, do thyself no harm, for we are all here, 16 and 28. Now, startled, the jailer must have thought, who said that? Is this true? Because why would criminals stay in a prison with open doors. But he found it to be solid. Then it hit him. After he found that prisoner prisoners are all secure and safe and still in there, he probably got thinking, you know, I almost died. Flight or violent <coughs> adrenaline hit his bloodstream. I'm sure all kinds of thoughts raced through his mind. He probably sat there thinking, what if I'd done it? Where would I be now? I'm not ready to die. Or he probably thought that I never made peace with my maker. If there is a heaven, I'd have missed it. If there's a hell, I'd be in it. At that moment, probably for the first time, the idea of being lost really hit him. What was I thinking? How many times have we said that? What was I thinking? How far was the sword from his vital organ when Paul's voice called out? Six inches? Three inches? How many seconds away from his last breath was his jailer? Sixty seconds? Thirty seconds? We have no way of knowing. But then he hit him. I almost died. Surely he stood on the, on, the, on the brink of eternal cliff with his toes on the edge. Yet he stepped back. As Jude might have praised it, he was pulled from the fire in which the rich man woke up. Jude 1 and 23, Luke 16, 19-31. That horrible place is described as a lake of fire Revelations 21 and 8. That never quenched as in Mark 9 and 46. Once he plunged into that darkness, there was no way it. Hebrews nine twenty-seven, Luke 16 and 26. Any person can be on the brink of death at any time. You might be on that highway in Atlanta when I'm coming down it backwards. But but there is a just a still, as I said, a car accident, <coughs> a heart attack, a stray bullet. Between any man, any death, there's death any day. We are wise to prepare and stay prepared to proceed to the next world on a such a short notice. 1 Samuel 1, 23, Luke 12, and 20, and also James 4, 14. He was as close to a hopeless judgment as any man had ever been. Yet there in that Philippian jail, he was rescued. He received the shortest possible answer to life's greatest possible question. The jailer was a man of few words. We know of only 23 words he ever said. I'm sure he said more, but we only know of 23 words. But among them is this question. Sirs, what must I do be saved. What if someone come up to you and stopped you out on the street and ask you, what do I need to do to be saved? Will we know what to tell them? Or would we just say, well, you know, read your Bible and then go on our ways? Would we be willing? Will we have the love in our hearts for them? Or would we say, well, I, got, I don't have time. I will come to church Sunday and tell them where the church is. As Brother Reed pointed out in our Bible study, we're supposed to be ready at all times to talk to people. Now, some of them just trying to trip you up, of course. But it's not up to us to judge. Maybe if was taking the time and earnestly and lovingly trying to help that person is trying to trip them up, it might trip them up and they their salvation is found. But anyway, the Bible contains about 3,300 questions. I've come across a little statement. That I didn't actually count them but it says that the Bible contains about 3,300 questions. But this is the greatest of all. No poet, philosopher, scholar, anyone has surpassed this short, simple uh, question. It is the greatest because it is universal, according to Romans 3 and 23. Personal. It's about our deepest need to deal with the longest duration and implies both divine grace and human responsibility. Now Acts 16 and 31 it's one of the greatest verses of the Bible. God's brief answer to man's deepest question has two parts. First of all, it has a, part, a blessing. You will be saved. <clears throat> it also has a condition. We are to believe in the Lord Jesus. Excuse me. What must I do to be saved is asked three times in the book of Acts. Acts 2 and 37 by the Jews on Pentecost. Acts 9 and 6 by Saul of Taurus. And we see here in 16 and 30 by the jailer. Now surprisingly, each time a different answer was given. In Acts 2, to the Jews, Acts 2, 37 and 38, they were told to repent and be baptized, every one of you. To Saul, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Acts 9-6, 22-16. And, and here to the jailer, Acts 16-31, he was told to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now combined, there are three answers. Believe, repent, and be baptized. Everyone must make the same trip, but some are just further down the road than others. In other words, we might ask, well, why there's three answers to this uh, simple question? Does God have no definite plan to say? Does He require different things? The answer is no to both. He is always fair and equal. Acts 10 and 34 and 35. Romans 2 and 11. Everyone must make the same trip. Somewhere, as I said, or just further down the road than others. Suppose, let's say you were on the road from uh, you were going to Odom. from Joseph to Odom. And you Go a little way, and you stop and ask someone, "Hey, how far is Odin from here?" And they'll tell you, "Oh, about ten miles, eight miles." And then you go on in your car a little further down the road, and you ride along. You stop and you ask someone else, "Hey, how far is Odin?" They're going to say about four miles. A little further down the road, they're going to say you only got about a mile. The same question received three different answers, but all three of them was correct. A senior, my, a senior in high school might ask, what must I do to attain a PhD? Their five replies, well, first of all, finish high school. Get a college undergraduate degree, then a master's degree. After that, apply to a doctoral program. A college graduate would ask the same question. But he wouldn't be told to graduate high school and enroll in college. He's already done these. One with a master's degree would even get a shorter answer. The same is true regarding our salvation. Those on Pentecost believed, Acts 2 and 37. So they were told to repent and be baptized. Saul had believed and repented, Acts 9, 5 through 9. So he was told to be baptized. The jailer had done none of the three. Believe was the first thing he had to do. So Paul told him that. Yet like the blind man who said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? John 9 and 36. The jailer needed more information. He didn't know this Christ. He had probably never been to a church service or heard a good gospel sermon. When his household arrived, Paul taught them the word of the Lord, 16 and 32. Explaining who Jesus is and what he requires, we can know that he taught them by simply observing what they've done. It said between midnight and sunrise, they completed the same three requirements of the other, believing in 16 and 34. Repenting, indicated by washing the stripes, 16 and 33. And baptism in 16 and 33. resulting in salvation. Service and rejoicing in 16 and 34. Now the jailer went from a pagan life to a Christian in less than six hours. That, night, that might be the all-time record, but it was still. It was done because someone concerned enough, loved him enough, and obeyed God's word by being a teaching to him. Now, in some ways, he is the most remarkable conversion in the New Testament. Pentecost was larger, <clears throat> was accomplished by a greater miracle, but convergence was a natural progression from Jews looking for the Messiah. Once convinced that Jesus is Christ, Acts 2, in Galatians 3 and 26, conversion to Cornelius, although he was a Roman, is less surprising than he had, because he had been exposed to Judaism and was sympathetic to the true God, Acts 10. Now, Salatariah was a more noteworthy turnaround, but a devout person turning to pursue a better uh, religion is not unheard of in Acts 9. Yet this Roman jailer would never have read Jewish prophecies. Probably, Philippi was nothing like Cornelius' post and Joppa. He was not a devout man looking uh, for a life path. He simply desired salvation enough to make a drastic change literally overnight. Matthew 13, and 44. The jailer was baptized the same hour of the night, which was sometimes after midnight, Acts 16, 25, 33. The church would meet in Philippi the next Sunday, 16 and 40, but he did not wait a few days. It would have been easier after daylight, but he didn't even wait until the sunrise. This decision reflected his wisdom and taking advantage of the opportunity we see in Ephesians 5 and 16. Paul would have been released and moved the next day. It's consistent with baptism's purpose. Why wait to be saved, Mark 16 and 16? It's consistent with other conversion. In Acts, as soon as one knew the gospel, he obeyed it. Whether after a Sunday sermon, a midweek, or a a midnight. Now the 3,000 on Pentecost were baptized the same day, Acts 2, 38 and 41. As of Samaritans in Acts 8 and 12. Lydia, Acts 16 and 15. The Ethiopian was baptized as soon as he found adequate water. Acts 8, 35 and 38. Saul was, was told not to delay and obey as soon as he knew what to do. Acts 9, 18, 22 and 16. He was introduced to the Savior of the world by the chief of the sinners. As Paul said, he was the chief of the sinners. Now, what would it, <clears throat> what would it have been like to hear Paul preach about Jesus? Have been wonderful. The chief, somebody called himself the chief of sinners, First Timothy one and fifteen. Speaking of the one who saved him by his grace, the jailer likely never knew, probably never knew how blessed he was to have had this man assigned to his watch. Consider how unlikely it was that this Roman would never become a follower of Christ. Jesus had lived, taught, died in a distant land. He had nothing in common with Jesus. They spoke different languages, wore different styles, ate different foods, and lived at far different uh, worldviews. Now Jesus' death by crucifixion was at the hand of the jailer's own national army, of course, because Roman despised the Jews. Acts 16 and 20, Jesus' nation. Now decades had passed. The gospel had only recently arrived in his area. He had no interest in it. He had just locked up the only preachers of it. None of his family or his friends or his acquaintances were Christian. In fact, there was only, we're told, only one Christian family we know of on the whole continent at this time, and he didn't know Lydia from him rip- Yet somehow, <clears throat> he still became a Christian. That somehow is the love of Jesus. Salvation is beyond us. It lies in Him. It's not of achievement. It's not of merit, works, but of trust. Submission, obedience, and faith. John 3 and 16. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Titus 3, 5 and 7. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9. Our trust in obedience saves us only in the sense that it makes a way for Christ to save us. Now in closing, we'll say that Jesus is the hero in all conversions. And the reason I say that Jesus is the hero in all conversions. He came to earth. He lived among us. John 1 and 14. He died for us. Romans 5 and 6. He longed to save us. 2 Peter 3 and 9. He lived to make intercession for us. Hebrews 7, Hebrews 7 and 25. Jesus wants to rescue you. The question is have you believed? Repented? And been baptized for forgiveness of your sins. <laughs> Remember, as we all said, you can go to heaven from wherever you are. If there need to be, and you need to be baptized, become a Christian. Or maybe you've already become a Christian, already been baptized, but just stepped out of the Lord's way. You need the prayers, the encouragement of the congregation to help you get your life straightened back out while we still have a chance. Whatever you need may be, we ask you to come for this time. We'll stand and sing our song of to invitation. Hear the sweet voice of Jesus say, come unto me.
1: And it's good to see everyone. Uh, we've got an exciting week this week, starting seven o'clock Wednesday night, and uh, let's uh, support that. I think you'll enjoy Nathan. And uh, also, I'm talking about the meal list, uh, you know, just taking somebody out to eat lunch, just just Subway or anything, just just to have, you know, it doesn't have to be fancy. Um, I, I still remember, you know. Uh, eat beans and rice, and uh, you know, and so that's okay too. Nothing, it doesn't have to be fancy. This is brother and uh, I don't think Paul had fancy, so let's remember we don't have to, we're, we're here to be brothers and sisters. Nothing else, brother Herman. We listen, for me? Hey, Father, we thank you.